The following is a Just Green production brought to you by the Might Be News Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Might Be Brews, episode 45, the podcast where we explore the people, places, and brews of the craft beer world. My name is John. With me, as always, Mr. Steve. How you doing tonight? So last week we had parent-teacher conferences with the kids' teachers, and we do it like over Zoom and stuff. Right. So I, so I enter the meeting with the teachers, and what pops up? Mr. Steve might be bruised <laughs> for my parent-teacher conference. Oh, that's awesome. That was, that's I was great. like, don't worry about the name. I do this podcast thing, and, my, and the teacher was like, oh, yeah, your kids told us. Don't worry about it. It might be bruised. It might <laughs> be drugs. I don't that's know. Hilarious. Yeah, do it together. The man behind my board, my brother Taylor. How you doing, brother? Hi, everybody. How's it going? All right, our special guest this week. We've got the founder of Fresh Pitch Beverage Consulting, Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? Doing fantastic and good job on the name. The last Pennsylvania podcast I was on, they called it uh, First Pitch and then Fresh Bitch. So you guys are way ahead of schedule. <laughs> oh, give us time. <laughs> I was going to call you Aaron Gore, and then I looked at the screen and saw the MJ, and it completely threw me off. So I was like, Aaron, welcome oh, to the show. I get a kick out of it. So all the kids in my family got two middle names. Guess MJ literally stands for Michael Jordan. Oh, that's amazing. Not even a word of lie. No, my parents don't watch basketball either. <laughs> oh, that's great. And that's, that's awesome. real. Oh, that's real. That's a hundred. That's that's not a joke. I'm yeah. not that clever. Wow. That's awesome. That's no, no, cool. it's not. That's <laughs> look like me. You spend your entire childhood. Everybody's like, are you related to the actual Michael Jordan? <laughs> yeah. And my last name's a former vice president. And no one knew how to spell my first name until that Key and Peel sketch. Wow. I have four names. You I got mess up, Aaron. You <laughs> done messed up. I literally say A. Aaron every time I typed your name today. I say how it in my head. Do you just say like it out loud while you're typing stuff. You might want to have that looked at, I John. <laughs> I might. I might. Probably. All right, let me get some of the um, the pleasantries out of the way early on. Uh, make sure you check out the brand new mbnnetwork.com. It's never been easier to find your new favorite podcast. Help us make the show bigger and better than ever before. Become a patron on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash mbnnetwork. $5 a month helps us get better equipment and gets you exclusive network content. And shout out to our sponsors, Unomia CBD. Go to unomiacbd.com. Use promo code MBN, 20% off. That's E-U-N-O-M-I-A-C-B-D.com. I just re-upped on my peach gummies that uh, are fantastic and put me to sleep. I love them things. So shout out, Mike and April. They're amazing. Amazing. Did a great Let's job. get into it. Um, Aaron, I, I got I guess I'll just start off by saying I I don't know how we got connected online, but I started following you on Facebook. We became Facebook friends. I'm sure somebody maybe, you know, um, recommended you or something like that. And I just am a fan overall of everything that you post. Because not only is it always on the pulse of things happening in the beer industry. Um, but even some like personal stuff or, you know, um, just social things in general, 
I tend to lean your direction, I guess. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate that, but uh, it's just, it's, it's been really interesting and, and I just dig everything that you're posting and I'm like, I got to get this guy on. I think we would have some fantastic conversations. So um, we can't thank you enough for spending a few minutes and uh, hopefully you're half as decent as your social media account. <laughs> oh, no, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for uh, playing me on. That was uh, flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, I do love the fact that you gave me exactly one uh, brief about this show, and that was we try to avoid politics, and you've already crossed over that line. So good work, John. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's a, it's a very small world in this industry. Uh, you'd be amazed how easy it is to make connections. That's one of the things I love about it. Uh, it's very incestuous industry, more incestuous than a small town in Mississippi. So, you know. <laughs> we love it. Uh, it's, it's great. A lot of great people all over the place uh, in all sorts of roles, whether just enjoying drinking it, enjoying uh, producing things like podcasts, like videos, like uh, writing about it and, and the ones actually making the beer as well. So it takes all types. Sure. Well, before we get there, there's so many things I want to talk about. I want to talk about Fresh Pitch. I want to talk about your um, your podcast history, things like that. But when we have a new guest on, I like to go way back and kind of talk about what's the story about how you got into craft beer you know were were you just a casual drinker that fell in love with it and and how did you evolve into really being like a craft beer fan and eventually into the industry yeah so i actually come from a family that does not drink at all uh so to go back to my middle name it's actually michael for the archangel michael and jordan for the jordan river my dad is a minister okay. uh so in my entire extended family i'm the pretty much the only one who drinks uh so i kind of came by honest in the sense of i didn't really have a whole lot of background just kind of fell in love with it by virtue of uh trying it and enjoying it uh like pretty much everybody when it comes to beer though i mean i got my start on miller genuine draft i was working at a little mini mart and i had been told my entire childhood that I drink beer, I'm going to hell. So I figured, what the hell, I'll give it a shot. I uh, took a sip, didn't hate it. And next thing I knew, I'd tried Blue Moon. That was the first thing that showed me that all beer didn't have to taste the same. And then uh, on my 21st birthday, I uh, did a two-night thing. First night, I went out with a bunch of my friends and had Magic Hat number nine and loved it. And then the next night I went out with my girlfriend, now my wife, and uh, decided I was going to be fancy and ordered the most expensive bottle of beer on the menu, Innocent Gun Original. And my eyes got about that big after taking a sip, and I was just absolutely in love from that point forward. So I got laid off from my corporate job, you know, at like age 21, corporate as you can be at that point. Uh, and decided I really hated offices, didn't want to go back. So, yeah, wound up finding my first job in the beer industry actually on Craigslist, believe it or not. And been doing it ever since. So what was the evolution like in being in the industry? Um, you know, if you don't mind, like what was your first job and, and how did it evolve into what you now have as your own consulting firm? Yeah, so the first job I got in the industry was actually just a, a sales position with a small brewery. Uh, original goal was for me to just be running Rhode Island, which anybody who doesn't, you know, just think that Rhode Island is part of New York knows that Rhode Island is the smallest state in the union. Uh, absolutely tiny. You can practically throw a rock from one side to the other. Uh, so I started there, but before I knew it, I also took over Massachusetts. Then I got New Hampshire and then I got Vermont. Then I got Southern Maine. Before I knew it, I had Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. So I was basically running the whole Northeast uh, for that company by the time, uh, we moved down South. So 
from there, uh, moved down to the Carolinas where I'm at now. I uh, got a job with a brewery out of Raleigh. Uh, that was kind of a rocky situation. They were kind of in the middle of flux, kind of pulling out of the market. But after that, wound up getting with a great small brewery, Granite Falls Brewing, and was their sales manager. So led sales, uh, did everything from running a self-distro network across uh, the whole state, uh, as well as working with a bunch of wholesalers and just started building a model, started uh, building that practicum of experience and uh, over time decided to help apply that to some of the other breweries in the industry. Uh, I don't think I'm telling any secrets when I say this is an industry of amateurs. I think that's one of the best things about it. You have people who, like me, came from IT backgrounds. You got engineers, you got lawyers, you got, uh, you know, people from just about any conceivable job. This is their second job. This is what they decided to follow their passions with. But you don't have a ton of people with sales backgrounds. Don't have a ton of people with hospitality backgrounds. Uh, don't have a ton of people with manufacturing backgrounds. And really, when you talk about beer, it's a manufacturing facility that also has a hospitality facility on the front, and you got to sell a product. So if I can help some of those people who have all of the passion and all of the energy and all these innovative ideas become a little more professional and become a little more refined in what they're doing from a business standpoint, then I'm doing my part to help make the uh, the industry just, I, I guess, a little more sustainable in the long term. A little more mature. So you're down in the in North Carolina. I always hear about that Asheville. Oh, you're in South Carolina now. I can um, practically throw a rock to North Carolina, so it's a distinction without a difference. So what makes that area pop so much these days? Uh, you know, you hear about the North Carolina, the brewing scene, the Asheville's. Is it just the breweries that are there? Is there something that's in that location that's drawing people to that area? What is it? I think part of it is just you have a ton of new people coming in. Uh, we are seeing a massive influx in the South these days of people from Pennsylvania, people from Ohio, from Michigan, from uh, upstate New York, from New England. So there's a constant just rush of people down here, and that's new money. A lot of those people are young, so it's a very young, vibrant community. It's very optimistic because almost everybody who's down here wants to be down here. They're not just down here because they were born into it. Uh, that's certainly the case with myself. Uh all those things play in kind of to the core demographics of craft beer and you've kind of seen it explode. I mean, Nashville has been around for quite a while and they've had a really vibrant beer scene for a while. I, part of that just spins out of the fact that it's a whole bunch of hippies up the mountain. Uh, so, you know, they really kind of got it going, but uh, as the rest of the Carolinas really started to get younger and started to get a little more affluent and, you know, the more and more, you know, more and more hipsters started to move down. Uh, the breweries just started popping up. We're up over uh, 325 in the state now. Uh, it's, uh, we're in the uh, top 10 for the country and uh, fast growing at that. Uh, I would put Charlotte scene up against most places in the country, especially on the East Coast, uh, a little less than on the West Coast. Asheville is, you know, second highest breweries per capita in the country. Raleigh and uh, the Raleigh-Durham area has a really good scene. Uh, the Triad, which is Winston-Salem, Greensboro, has a really good scene. Wilmington's really up and coming. Uh, and even South Carolina, both Greenville and Charleston, really got some nice things going. So it, it's been fun to watch. Uh, and just like the six years I've been down here, so much of that has really come to fruition. That's awesome. It's amazing. I actually know a couple people that, um, for I don't know, know for whatever reason, but they started looking at real estate down there, you know, younger, and, and they just ended up, I, I want to say it's a town north of North Myrtle Beach. Maybe it's called like Three Rivers or something like that, but um, just moved down there. I don't know if that's what it's called, but 
Um, but yeah, it, it's Have crazy. Have you ever and, been and, down there before? Because no one moves near no. Myrtle on purpose. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't it's think right they spent much here, time. <laughs> is it just too crazy? What's wrong with Myrtle? Is it like... Uh, oh, man. Myrtle is like if Atlantic City and New Orleans during Mardi Gras had a baby, but that baby was missing some teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a couple times. I just, you know, it's... I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe I just didn't have a... Uh, I really definitely didn't get around at all, but I kind of noticed that I did a couple trips down to the Carolinas over the past year. And I did notice that there were, you know, these, uh, these buildings that had been redone and turned into brew pubs and just like nice, you know, pubs and, and restaurants and things like that. And, and was really surprised. And, um, you know, it's crazy that like when I travel now, I, that's usually how I pick where I'm going to stay. Cause like, you know, I know where the town where I got to work, but you know, it might be a hotel 15 minutes north or south or west. And um, I just look for that town that seems to have, you know, the the nice up and coming neighborhood that has those little places like the, uh, the, you know, the beer pubs and the breweries and stuff like that. It always ends up being a lot more enjoyable. It's okay to just acknowledge that you're picking places where you can get a beer. <laughs> I'm traveling and I'm looking for where I can get drunk. That's fine. <laughs> I'm waiting for somebody to to like give me shit at work because like every time I travel and I turn in my expenses, you know, I'm allowed to to get reimbursed for dinner, but every dinner receipt is like a brewery pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I can that, write all that off because of what I do for a living. So it, it's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, bought a place outside of Yakima Valley where the majority of the country's hops are grown. So anytime I fly out to visit them, I'm just writing that off. Research. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> R&D. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go around the room and talk about what we're drinking. I know, Aaron, you said it already because you are um, an experienced podcast host. But if anybody uh, in the chat wants to let us know. And uh, tell me what you're drinking. I'd love to see what's going on. I do want to um, give a shout out to Jeff real quick. Jeff Norman, who runs uh, Kennett Brewfest, said, uh, Kennett Campfire Winterfest, 227-21 tickets soon. I'm guessing I'd love some more input. We should probably have him on the show again soon. But um, with, the, with the campfire involved, I'm assuming it's going to be another uh, beer fest at home. You know, picking up uh, picking up cases instead of doing you know a uh, a giant thousands of people event. It's probably responsible. Probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see that. that I'm, that's interesting. Um, the last one sold out pretty quick. I didn't actually even get a chance to get a case. So. Yeah, and they did such a good job with that. That just is why they sold it out so quick. Such a they cool idea. Beer. They had great breweries. It was a it was a really cool idea. Especially, especially in 2020, right? Like everybody wants to look forward to things like that. You know what I mean? And they made it possible for people to still participate. And that's something that's really important. So shout out to them. That's awesome stuff. I can't Let's wait to go around the Both him and Fish were drinking black IPAs in the chat. They were our two responses in the chat. So it was black IPA night in the chat. Hey, they're coming back, baby. Both yep. black IPAs. I saw I saw one recently from somebody. I can't remember who, and I almost bought it. So oh, sorry, right? the uh, the finance guy for Revolution Brewing. You see, he's big on beer Twitter, and he's been making a real campaign for like the last six months to get black IPAs to come back, and it's working. So now all of a sudden, you got a lot of breweries based just on the fact that he won't leave them the hell alone about it. They're starting to roll out these black IPAs, which is the most remarkable thing. 
Which brewery is it? Uh, he's the uh, finance guy for Revolution Brewing up in Chicago. They're uh, okay, Revolution. Yeah, they're they're one of the biggest ones in Chicago. Uh, uh, if you've ever had Antihero IPA, that's the one they're most well known for. Okay, I've seen that. Also, have fantastic food. Their chilaquiles is. Got a Bourbon County check-in from Ryan. Careful, Dude, could Aaron, be a short night. You might be the uh, the most professional guy already. You guys muting his mic to cough. That's next level. It's next guess. level. I, I ate way too much damn curry before coming on here, so my stomach <laughs> is like just all pissed off at me. Dude, I got a co-host uh, for Might Be News that Ooh. straight up burps directly into the thing. <laughs> <laughs> he he unmutes just to burp. Yeah. <laughs> well, the worst is consistent. I, I respect it. And you should. You should be proud of that. The worst is when he lags out when he's burping, like on the screen. It's like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's Fucking idiot. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> so it's, uh, we've been on for a couple minutes already, but I think we should go around the room and talk about uh, what we're drinking. Um, I'll go ahead and get started that um, we got a new unfiltered Pilsner hopped with spalt. Keller from um, East Branch Brewing. What's Everybody knows how much we love uh, East Branch and um, got one from Mr. Steve there as well. But I, I don't know. It, and- I, I, I have a hard time explaining things or explaining these beers, but for some reason, everything just has such a good flavor, a good hot profile. To me, Every time I taste one of their beers, it uh, the first thing that comes to mind is this beer is well executed. Which I guess that's a whole lot better than poorly executed. Yeah. The beer that you're having yeah, right now? I got this beer, but yeah. it's shit. I hate it. What? Is it clean? Everything of Govs, but this one in particular. I mean, but, but all of them, you know. I still think Carte Blanc might be my favorite one that they've done. Um, I, I'm missing that one and looking forward to it coming back. But um, I don't know, man, this, this beer, this six pack was fantastic. I think it's a really nice pills. It's got like a, an earthy tone to it that, that, that I kind of like. I have no idea what spalt is, uh, Taylor, in answer to, to your question. So maybe somebody in the chat can tell us what spalt is. Is that or- a hop? I can because not your spalt is a hop. It's one of the noble hops. Uh, Spalter is very similar to a uh, Tetnanger. Yeah. Uh, or um, Zatz. Okay. It, it's a pretty typical uh, Pilsner hop. Hop. Shout out to Evan. Evan messaged me, I think, in, in a chat somewhere or just shot me a text and was like, dude, I just, I just had this. I think he probably even had it before he was canned. And he was like, it might be one of the best ones they've ever done. Make sure you get some. So I definitely did. But Man, I've never had anything from those guys. Where, where, where are they out of? So East Branch, it's down in town, Pennsylvania. Same as Victory's you know, first location. Same town. I know the, Victory's got a Charlotte location now, right? Uh, yeah, they got a joint location with uh, Southern Tier, Bold Rock, and Six Point. That whole artisanal brewing ventures mm-hmm. uh, well, venture. So Victory's first brewing space was in Downingtown, and then they've got that new ABC place out in, um, it's, it's kind of similar probably, we call it Victory Parksburg, but that location has uh, some six point and some, I don't know if they had Southern Tier on tap. They get Southern Tier uh, liquor every once in a while, but they certainly had the um, some uh, uh, some six point on, but 
um, in Downingtown, that's that's where we live, or in that Downingtown area. I always say that when um, Mr. Steve's a Coatesville guy. But uh, yeah, the guy Kevin McGovern is the head brewer there, and he came from Victory, and he's just a guy that's super passionate about um, all the traditional, you know, German styles. He takes everything. Uh, I don't want to say he takes things seriously because he's not that serious, but he's like a brewer's brewer. Like every time that I interview another person in the area or somebody, they just like that guy knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he, I think he's just uh, I, I guess that's the best way to describe it. Probably a brewer's brewer. I, 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 always, say, I always say he's your favorite brewer's favorite brewer. I always wonder in those cases when they're like, that guy knows what he's doing, which the implication is none of those other fucks know what they're doing. <laughs> well, <laughs> if the shoe fits. <laughs> well, Taylor, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Rogue. Oh, there it is. Rogue Chocolate Stout Nitro. And if anybody in the uh, chat can recommend a chocolate stout that actually tastes like chocolate, it'd be greatly appreciated. John, you and I have had this conversation multiple times, and it fascinates me. The uh, what goes through people's minds when they drink these things, and they're like, "Oh my god, it tastes just like a brownie or something." This tastes like motor oil, and I'm sure it tastes good to somebody else, <laughs> but it tastes and looks like motor oil. It pours nice. It's uh, it's got that you know the nitro whatever thing, and it it, it's, it pours nice. It's nice and smooth. But this does not taste like chocolate, and I have yet to taste a stout that tastes like chocolate for real. So, Aaron, I got to give you a little bit of background. Um, Taylor is my stepbrother, but really my brother, and um, he's he's he went to broadcasting school. He started this podcast network. There's five or six shows on it, and he does a fantastic job producing it. He's got the voice. He's the real talent. But to just help complement the network, we started this This uh, Might Be Brews, and it's a lot of fun for us. And us being Steve and I were used to do bottle shares, and um, it kind of took off from there. But anyway, Taylor is like the least beer guy out of us. But it's always fun to keep him in the loop and on the show because he gets to um, give that, like, you know, non-beer fan take on some stuff. And a lot of times when we're all drinking the same beers – and and we can say like something like King Sue, and we're like, oh my goodness, this is like one of the best you know double IPAs I've ever had. And, and he's like, this tastes like armpit, you know, big or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it too because he gives us these uh, wonderful descriptions, like tastes like motor oil, whereas you have <laughs> much more elaborate ones, like this is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> or even just that I don't like it, but I just I try to come up with. How it really makes me feel. I would drink this, but I just, it, to me, if it says chocolate stout on the can, it's automatically false advertisement to me, as far as I'm concerned. And maybe it's just the way that my palate is geared, but <laughs> I have no earthly idea how people can translate things like this into chocolate. Just, well, just call it what it is. Americans have kind of a weird conception of chocolate. So, so sm small aside, leading away from beer, uh, most American chocolate is not 100% chocolate unless you're buying like some artisanal brands. There's actually usually butyric acid in there. 
uh, it was a preservation thing back uh, back in the day. But uh, butyric acid is the same stuff that makes baby vomit smell the way that it does. <laughs> uh, but we grow up with it tasting like that. So for us, that's just how chocolate tastes. But if you ask like a European about American chocolate, they almost universally hate it. Wow. Because that little touch of butyric, they can just, it shoots right through. They just know it. Was he? Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if you've ever had like Hershey's chocolate, it's like a perfect one. Like you taste Hershey's chocolate, it just tastes like chocolate. You like meet someone from like Belgium or even England and they're like, oh, what is this like baby vomit ass? <laughs> well, see, to That's me, crazy. To we're going to have to, we're going to have to do a flight of, uh, of some chocolate soon. To me, back on for that. These guys <laughs> should just say rogue 10W40 stout. 10W30 stout, like straight up motor oh, yeah, oil. There's like, actually a beer called 10W40 stout from Highwire Brewing. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'd like to try that. Because I would support their honesty. You know, I would support their, their upfrontedness about they how tell you exactly this is. exactly what it is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this, look at all these chocolate bars. Look at all these chocolate bars in this thing, in this cup. That is not what's going on. <laughs> that is not what's happening right now. It's advertising. That's the key. Is there a little bit of chocolate? Is there a note of chocolate? I have you no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea what they're talking about. Let me taste it one more time. Let me see. It's zero percent. So, I mean, I'm sure most of us on the show and in the chat have had KBS and CBS from founders and their most recent, um, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the uh, variant that they did was the... Um, Mackinac maple fudge. And when I had that, Taylor was there and I was sipping on it. And to me, of course, there's beer, there's stout, there's barrel. But to me, I was getting straight fudge and chocolate on my palate. And I'm like, dude, you were going to love this. And and what was your reaction to that, Taylor? I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I don't get it. Like, this, this is when we, because it reminds me of like the first time I went to one of your beer shares and somebody was like, yo, you're, I think you should try this. You know, everybody's passing around and it's like, oh, everybody's loving the chocolate. It's so chocolatey. I tasted it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like all of you guys make zero sense to me. And it just, not only that, but it wasn't a good beer. That was b way before all this. So, like, I was way, way, way away from liking anything remotely close to whatever the hell we were drinking that night. But when we had what you were talking about, no, I just don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, really I wonder if I'm, I wonder if I'm like, do up some hot chocolate and drop some rum in it and give it to them and just be like, yeah, no, it's a beer. It's a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, and, I, and like i wonder like i just i just hope that i'm not broken because chocolate is one of my favorite things and if i could find a chocolate beer that actually tastes like chocolate and people aren't just messing with me uh i would love it i would love it <laughs> i like other the, stouts uh, pbr the hard pbr coffee i have and that's chocolatey it's coffee e it's like a coffee yoo-hoo. Yeah, that's pretty much what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's 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 good. And I thought about getting that, but this had look at all these chocolate bars in this cup. It's a lot of chocolate <laughs> bars. That's what I, that's what sold me on it. I was like, well, this is the coolest can. It's got tons of chocolate in this glass. On the no, false advertisement. Sorry, Rogue, you missed me. You missed me. That's Aaron, did you say what you're drinking? No, I didn't. Taylor was just going on and on. You said this guy has a broadcasting background? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, uh, so I'm actually drinking uh, this little ditty from uh, Dissolver out of Asheville. It's a collab they did with Zillicoa out of Asheville. Uh, two of the 
best breweries out there, uh, part of kind of the new school of Asheville breweries are killing it. Uh, this is their Herd Different. It's an ordinary bitter. Uh, it's a uh, English style of beer, probably closest that you'd be able to relate it to is like an American Amber or an American Pale Ale, but a lot more reserve, a little more malt forward, and also lower alcohol. This one's uh, 3.5%, I think. So, yeah, 3.5%. But if I can get the world drinking more uh, more English styles, I will be very happy with it. I, I love English style beer. It gets absolutely no love. And guys, extra special bitter is not that bitter. It's okay. Give it a try. You might I like always, I always think that. Does the name just put people off? Oh, it does. I'm, I think so. Backgrounds and sales, the name very much puts people off. Yeah, nobody's interested. In I, I remember one being on tap at the tap room one station tap room and like being like, no, no, no. I, I don't know if I'm ready for something like that. I'm not, you know, I don't want that beer. And then was like, Oh my God, this is like the most crushable beer they have. Yeah. You know, and I think we had like three or four of them. Balanced. Um, They're super well balanced as a style. Sure. Absolutely. But yeah, that's interesting. I don't know that I've really had that many, you know, I would say maybe one handful, um, they're hard to find stateside. You got a handful of breweries that specialize in them, but unless you're in a place like, you know, Denver for Hogshead or Fortnite and the Carolinas did it for a while, they're, you usually got to do import. And I mean, how, how much English import do you see on the shelves these days? Honestly, little Fuller's ESB. That's probably about the most, maybe some old speckled hen. That's about all you're likely to see. John, when Lucas, when Lucas Lane first opened up there, that was their best beer that I thought they had on, on their grand opening weekend or whatever mm. it was. That was the best beer that they had that I thought they had that right when they opened. Yeah. I don't go there enough. It's interesting. Like how often we talk about breweries and we all seem to talk about the same ones. And then like Aaron's describing these breweries talking about how great they are. And, and it's just awesome how many are out there that we've never heard of. There's just so much. 8,500 breweries in the U.S. I mean, this is literally, literally all I do. And there's still ones. I mean, I've never had anything from the East, what was it, East Branch? East Branch. Yep. Right. Never had anything from East Branch. Never even heard of East Branch. I've even had a decent number of uh, breweries from y'all's area. Just There's so many these days, and that's a wonderful, amazing thing. But uh, it also means it's a constant adventure. There's always going to be more you've never tried, more places you've never seen, more people to meet. And I, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it. Yeah, great point there. Um, Noda does some really good stuff. So they're actually in Charlotte, uh, my neck of the woods. Uh, second largest brewery in the city. I'm actually working with them on a charity collaboration beer for the city of Charlotte area. Uh, court shoes only, which is going to be awesome. Keep an eye out for that. But uh, yeah, really good stuff. I was trying to click on this one for Taylor. Mike uh, hopped in right at the last second. Hi, Laura. Do you have that yet, Taylor? No, the I haven't had that yet. Mm -mm. I've try mixed, mixed reviews on it. Um, <clears throat> maybe we should like all split a 12-pack or something because I don't know. I, I've seen it at the store a couple times, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want 12 Hershey's Porters or not. <laughs> is that what I turns don't. you off about it, or is it uh, the yingling? What, what turns you off about it? Um, porter, the word porter. Mm, mm. John likes motor oil. He likes the 10 W 40. He does yeah. like the 10 W 40. They, they give me a hard time and, and probably rightfully so, but you know, the every time that I have a porter, I just want it to be a 12%, you know, heavy mouth feel stout. 
And um, I just, you know, Mr. Steve always says you can't let a por- you have to let a porter be a porter. Let a porter be a porter. Wow, <laughs> that's profound. Let an ESB be an ESB. <laughs> I I can yeah, get down really with it, man. Territory here. <laughs> You know, with the loggers and, and like those styles, those light crispy boys, like I can I can get into the different, you know, different variations of those different ABVs. But for some reason, when you start putting dark malts in, you know, I'm I'm looking for just a heavy, heavy. If a kettle sour can explodes in the forest and no one's there to hear it, <laughs> did it really explode? Yes. <laughs> Only if you ship it. Only if it's 450. You shipped it first. <laughs> oh that's hilarious um so i was looking at your website earlier aaron and i clicked on the services tab if anybody else wants to freshpitchconsulting.com but it, you know it was what i expected to see strategic strategic sales consultant Nailed um it. market assessment tap room staff training <laughs> sop creation right um all of that's great, but then I, I was really interested by Secret Shopper because, like, when I was a kid, I was like, for sure, that was going to be my career. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I just thought that was like when I found out that that existed. It's like I'm definitely going to do that. Um, but I, I don't know. Have you have you had the opportunity to get hired to do that yet? It is so funny because anytime I'm like talking to people who are in the industry, like they're always like, Ooh, market viability assessments. Tell me more about that one. Anytime I'm talking to like people on podcasts or more on the drinking side, they're always like, tell me more about that secret shopper thing. And where do I sign up? Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have. So, so yeah, that usually I don't actually get to do it is the fun part. I'm I'm fairly well recognized around the industry. So I, I can't walk into too many uh, breweries without, you know, at least them knowing who I am or at least ownership being aware. And you kind of need that anonymity. So I usually work with people like, you know, let's just call somebody John Wilcox. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead and uh, go into the bar for me. Uh, And and the goal is I basically have a rubric. I have a whole list of things that they need to be looking for that they need to be paying attention to before they even walk in the door. Uh, everything from the frontage to the cleanliness outside to the outdoor seating to uh, whether or not there's any sort of heating going in the door. Are they greeted? Uh, does the place look clean? Uh, do they have to seat themselves? Does somebody seat them? How prompt is the service? Uh, if there is a mistake, how quickly is it remediated? So the goal for a lot of these tap rooms is, I mean, anything that you are observing, uh, like any animal that you observe, you change its behavior kind of thing. So the goal is to make it so that it's as natural a customer environment as possible so that the taproom staff are just being themselves. Now, sure. that gives them a fair shake because it lets them, you know, do as do what they are normally doing, which is usually kick ass and usually awesome. But the only way to find mistakes is if you're able to get that outside opinion, you're able to get that outside observer and really see it from the customer's point of view. That's a... Yeah, I don't know. I just so many things are going through my head as you're talking about that. Um, but <laughs> his dreams, his dreams are shattered. I think about what's that? Your shattered yeah. dreams, your your unrealized uh, career path. You know, you, yeah. you like you, you, it's a missed opportunity in your life. I feel like I feel like it's really yeah. bothering. Oh, a hundred percent. But um, I guess what I'm what what it makes me think of is I've I've always, you know, I, I've managed places before, nothing brewing related, but. You know, there's always so much work that goes into, um, you know, making a um, 
you know, a place that, that people enjoy and, and running a good business and, and taking care of customers and things like that. But I, it's, just, it's a crazy question. I don't know if it's a good one or not because it's just popping in my head. But uh, what would you say is one of the most important things that breweries are not doing that they need to do when it comes to catering to their customers? Terrible question. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, it's an excellent question. Uh, I'd say one of the the chief things that they're not doing is they take their cut. They take their customers for granted. Uh, this is especially true more of brewery owners than it is of the actual service staff. Most service staff have experience in the industry. They they they've been bartenders elsewhere. They've been servers elsewhere. So they understand the importance, but. A lot of brewery owners, they miss the fact that the experience of going to a brewery tap room is what sets them apart from every other bar or restaurant out there. It's not a, I mean, you can go to a craft beer focused bar and get a much wider selection of craft beers than you could get at any given brewery. You go there because of the experience, the the environment, the feeling that you get, that emotional connection that you get from being in that space directly connected to the beer that's being made right behind that wall. So they need to put more effort into the fact that this isn't just a set of tables for people to try your shit. They can try your shit in any of your accounts. That's the goal. They come to your space because they not only want to have it fresh, but they want to be in that presence and they want to feel like they've gone somewhere, like they're actually a part of something. And that in some small way, they are in and with and a part of the brewery and the brewery story and the way that the beer is getting made. I mean, look at people who go on like a, a brew house tour for the first time. I, I think everybody kind of remembers the first time they actually went on a tour of a brewery and they're just looking around like, oh, my God, this is the metal where it was actually made. They put the beer in there and, and it's wonderful. And you, you feel a connection to it that you don't necessarily get when you're just holding it in your hand sitting in the house. Uh, it's, it's a reptile part of our brain that just loves to feel that intrinsic connection. So uh, a lot of brewery owners, they, they really need to pay more attention to that and really work to build that experience and, and take ownership of it and, and pay back consumers with, uh, for coming in and making the extra effort of visiting their facility uh, and seeking it out at the source and trying to, to connect emotionally with that brand. I remember there was a time I was sitting at Levante well before we were doing this, before we met Jim and, um, and he came out of the back with like 12 tasters and everybody who was at the bar. He's like, here, try this. It's new stuff. That's not out yet. And that little thing is going to connect somebody to your beer so quickly. It's, and for four cents of product, three cents of product, you're going to connect that person so easily. Cheapest part about running a brewery is the liquid. It's everything else that's expensive. I mean, beer's not free, but like relative to the labor, relative to, to the leases, to the debt, to the tap room space, uh, to the food. Uh, if you can pay for anything in beer, pay for beer. Good Lord. The amount of goodwill it gives you disproportionate to the actual physical cost. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful. God, that was such a better answer than I thought was possible. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was expecting like, you know, you got to buy these glasses. This glassware will just, you know, completely change the game for you. But that now, I agree. I, you know, there's times. I mean, we, locally, we all know the um, the the meltdown. The what would you call it, Mister Steve? The legend of the meltdown at Rootdown. Meltdown is a is a great term. 
Yeah, the uh, they ended up making a beer out of it, but a guy sat down and, and felt like he wasn't getting service, and he just got up and, and walked out and was like, this is ridiculous, and um, they tried to reach out to him and give him a free beer and bring him back, whatever. It's, it's a long story, but they ended up brewing a beer after it because they, they went and looked back at the tape, and he was there for 104 seconds, which... <laughs> Isn't like, you know, an eternity, but maybe if you sit down and nobody acknowledges you, it can feel like an eternity. Um, so so I know there's times where I've sat at I'm not the guy, by the way, but, it, you know, if you sat at a bar and it takes a long time for somebody to, you know, um, to take care of you or it seems like they notice you, but they're doing other things. Um, I, I'm sure that the that being a server is, is very difficult, but just being acknowledged or saying I'm on my way, I think goes a long way. And then there's other times where I think I talked about it recently on the show where I got a flight and wasn't expecting much. The server brought it over and it took them 10 seconds. And they said, all right, this one, like this is a, whatever I know what I ordered, but she's like, listen, the brown ale, you're going to pick up notes of this and this and the sour. We, tr- we did it this way. And, and it, it was 15 seconds, but for some reason, giving me that little bit of extra expectation of what I was about to enjoy and, and that they cared enough to tell me about it, like they were proud of the product, went a really long way and it stood out. And I, I just I thought it was a fantastic experience. Well, it's, it's the Pareto principle. Uh, 20% of causes create 80% of results. So it doesn't have to be about changing everything. It's it's those little touches, like explaining the beer that, that can help people feel more invested in it. It can help explain it. It can help them feel less confusion, feel more welcome. Uh, just welcoming them when they walk in the door. If you're going to take a minute, like you can let them sit for two minutes or you can take the 10 seconds to say, I'll be right with you. And now they know that at least they're seen and they're not just, you know, hanging around, you know, like, like twisting in the wind that they know that the help is going to come and it's going to come in time. And they understand that you're a person and that you're trying to take care of your stuff as well. So those little touches make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron, Aaron what kind of a, uh, yeah, Evan, uh, Evan was the one that installed the camera. So he had a firsthand view of the, uh, the 104 second meltdown. <laughs> and I think it th- wasn't the beer that they brewed 10.4%. Yeah, for the 104 yeah, seconds. For the 104 yeah. seconds, and it was, a, it was a great thing. <laughs> Aaron, what kind of trends do you see happening uh, as far as breweries? We get a lot up here that are opening up kitchens, some that are opening up food trucks, some that are doing a little bit different with food. What kind of trends do you see with that? Because I, I think... Well, I want to hear your answer first, and then I'll, I'll hop in there. <laughs> no pressure. Um, yeah, so, so I think it's hard to really put much of a finger on long-term trends. I mean, there might, there's a bit of a global pandemic and an economic recession at the moment. Uh, but there are definitely some things you're starting to see. Uh, demand hasn't gone anywhere. It, it's, it's pretty clear. And in general, affordable luxuries tend to do well, even through recessions. So I don't think craft beer is going to really decrease in demand. But you're starting to see a lot of breweries that had business plans and business models that weren't really sustainable in the long term anyways. It, it's been accelerated. We have kind of described it to people. We've seen the next five years of development in craft beer happen over the course of the 12-month period. Uh, it's been extremely rapid. So things like a kitchen, you always needed a kitchen to really have a successful brewery tap room. But craft beer as a whole was doing so well that it was able to float a lot of those that didn't. So you're seeing a lot of breweries now who are trying to pivot and be like, okay, at the very least, we need like a dedicated food truck or regular food truck. 
Um, I think it's something like people who uh, have food and from drink something like 40% more beer and people who have a beer in front of them tend to drink significant or eat significantly more food as well. So it's, it's a good reciprocal thing that helps generate a lot of positive revenue for your liquid, even if the actual uh, finances of restaurants are horrendous. Uh, you're also seeing a lot more consolidation, uh, especially the top end, uh, that middle section of breweries between the big macros and the little guys was getting absolutely crushed for years. Uh, now there's a lot of solidification, a lot of cons- uh, consolidation going on right now. Uh, things like new Belgium are just really starting to take over their spot and saying, Hey, we're, we're, we're done shrinking and now we're fighting back. So I think you're going to see things kind of stratify pretty firmly. Whereas for the longest time it was craft breweries and the macros, now it's going to be more definitively the macros, those huge craft breweries, and then that long tail of everybody else. And there's going to be chasms between those three. That's going to pretty, pretty well-defined business models. You know, as I was asking the question, I wasn't even thinking about the COVID pandemic part of it. The most impressive thing that we, John and I have seen is, especially in our area, the pivot to delivery model was crazy up here. I mean, within two weeks, people had different uh, delivery services, carriers. They were delivering and delivering it themselves, order online. The the pivot, the quickness that they did it with was was quite frankly really impressive up here, at least. Yeah, it's been a rapid pivot, um, and now it's kind of pivoted back as things have kind of reopened in certain areas, but only to a degree. Uh, it's going to be a long time before consumer confidence is back up to where it used to be for on-premise for actually going out and doing stuff like people want to lord knows i want to go out to to the bar but people as in aggregate aren't going to go out in the same numbers that they were before probably for at least a couple of years um i don't think it's really set in yet that uh we are in a traumatic shock to our culture to a degree that we've not seen since like the great depression. Like we all had that like crazy great grandmother or grandmother who like would like always keep her money in her mattress, like even into her like nineties because she didn't trust the banks. It's going to be a lot the same for the people who are coming up through the time of COVID. So I I think it's going to be a softer on-premise environment. Um, E-commerce has been soaring throughout all this. Uh, That's not going anywhere. Um, a lot of grocery stores have already made their peace with the reality that in the long term, curbside and delivery grocery, that's that's the new model. People have gotten accustomed to that. It's things that didn't even occur to them were things they could be doing. Now they're like, oh, this is kind of awesome. I hate going to the grocery store now. It's like, I don't want to go. With <laughs> exactly. People. And you got the alternative right. now. Yeah. I'm going to spend an hour. Yeah, that's going to stick around. And uh, package is going to become probably a little bit more of part of the split. Uh so, yeah, yeah, you're going to see a lot of these long-term effects that's at least going to take a couple of years to balance back out. I hate dodging the people in the grocery store that are picking for the delivery stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> they always leave their cart and go, like, grab something else. I'm like, take your Unintended cart with you. You're now taking up two spots where you could have just been one with your cart. Get out of my way. I love it. Oh, that drives me nuts. I'm like anal crazy yeah, if I'm pushing my cart, like it's like I'm near anybody. That thing's gonna like wedge right up against the uh, the wall, man. I don't want to be that yeah. guy. Yeah, take <laughs> your cart with you. Don't leave your cart. And now you're taking up two spots. Yeah, drive me nuts. Aaron, you're, you're hitting right on the topics that I wanted to, to get on. I, I, I actually had written out a question that, you know, 
before the pandemic, we were starting to see this turn in in the industry where, you know, the big guys were doing good. This middle tier breweries that had some distribution, um, you know, things like that were just struggling because of competition. And then come these little breweries that have, you know, no distribution, but just a, a nice restaurant tap room. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the overhead and no middleman. They're not pr- having to to sell as much. They're not producing a ton and having to get it out. Uh, they, they're just, they seem to be doing the best. And then all of a sudden with COVID, there's this turn where when you're the little guy, you're struggling. You can't have people in your place. You can't sell you know, uh, the food like you want to, you're, you're, you're struggling to get people to buy your, um, you know, your, uh, your, your product, you know, you to get to come in and buy crawlers or now all of a sudden when you've never had a distribution model, you're getting beer out, you know, into stores, which you've never have before and you're hitting shelves. And now there's even more competition on the shelves. Um, it's just, it's a very interesting dynamic that I feel like there's so much to talk about there. Um, as far as what, what's going to be the future and who's going to survive and, and when's, how's it going to tilt back? Well, I know for a lot of breweries, I mean, uh, the COVID hit them basically right in the areas they were the softest. I mean, they were heavily leveraged some as much as 90% or even a hundred percent into a draft draft got wiped out almost a hundred percent. So they had to pivot. Uh, the margins on package are significantly worse. Uh, so they were having to make do with less margin, even if they were able to make up that volume, which was usually pretty tough. Most of them were up to max 80% volume. Anyhow, uh, advertising and marketing are almost anathema to a lot of small breweries. They hate it, hate, hate doing advertising and marketing. So, you know, now instead of having your biggest marketing tool, which is your actual facility, uh, now you have to actually reach out to people and say, Hey, we're still here and we're kind of desperate. Please stop in. Bye beer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and for most of them, they just didn't know how to handle that. So it was a lot of these business models that they were sustainable with the relatively high margins of tap rooms. They're sustainable because there's so much goodwill and, and people love the experience of going to a brewery tap room. But the moment that they had to kind of turtle down and rely on some of those old fashioned good business, they had no experience in it. Uh, one of the things I tell a lot when I'm doing uh, presentations at like guild events and uh, uh, craft brewers conferences is uh, there's a lot more successful breweries with mediocre beer and good business models than vice versa. You have to have a good business model and it has to be solid. Otherwise you're just always going to be uh, chasing and reacting to potential failures as opposed to, to getting ahead of them and really grasping success. And that became a reality overnight for a lot of breweries. It's crazy to think about, and um, I'm curious to see who can who. Yeah, hopefully, everybody makes it out. I think a lot of people did make the right choices and and change the way that they're doing things for the better. Um, it's going to be a cold winter. <laughs> it cold is. It winter. is. Yeah, got a couple months. Couple months to get through that are going to be really tough for for everybody. So. January and February are always the uh, low point of the industry, oftentimes dramatically. Uh, I've seen some breweries, they're only doing 30% in January, February, what they are doing, you know, through the summer. Holy cow. Yeah. So on top of, because for a lot of them, it was 
PPP propped them up early. The problem is with PPP, if you didn't spend it right, that could wind up being a poison pill. It was limited. Uh, some of those uh, small business loans, uh, especially some of those short emergency small business loans, they were lifesavers. But a lot of that money is going to run out. Some of them spent it in ways that will give them more long-term sustainability. And some of them used it to prop up something that's still got wobbly legs. And I don't fault any of them. No one could have seen this coming. This isn't an indictment of any of those breweries. A lot of them are wonderful breweries. I'm friends with a lot of the owners of breweries like that. But now that we're heading in to probably increased restrictions again at the worst time of year, the time of year that most breweries spend the entire year trying to save up for with no promise of any uh, additional uh, emergency funding or emergency loans, plus they might have to be paying back additional loans from the first round. It, it's going to be it's going to be really tough. So support your local breweries first and foremost, guys. Like I know, I'm not indicting anybody for buying Bourbon County. I mean, we all got to make our compromises as consumers where we can. But if you could have spent that 15 bucks at a local brewery, it's 15 bucks for you. That's the start of a, a, a lifeline for them. So please do do what you can for your local breweries if you want them to be there next year. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I got a couple news articles here that I wanted to talk about before we end the show. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, how are we doing on time, Mr. Mr. Cooper? Uh, you did exactly what I uh, advised you not to do, which is uh, 55. Well, no, we started t- 10 minutes. You got like 15 minutes. You got like 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. you got a timer on the the John, right? Yeah. That's yeah. different than this. Mm, but No, I started about the same time that you went. You we okay. live. So you got like you got fifteen minutes. We'll say. All right. All right. Let's say that. All right. So um may I I just want to get you to elaborate on this, Aaron, because I saw this article and uh I wasn't smart enough to uh properly um understand what was going on here. Um Canarchy, I don't understand if that's actually a brewery or some kind of other business, makes their first non alcoholic partnership with recovery drink Revitalite. And I found that really interesting because we're seeing more and more breweries do, you know, non-alcoholic beers, seltzers, things like that. They're moving into um, different verticals that, that you know, things, things that are becoming more and more trendy as people are more health conscious or whatever it might be when it comes to the booze. This one in particular was interesting because it's literally how you can counteract overdoing the other. And uh, I wanted to get your input and thoughts on that. Yeah. So it's essentially a hedge bet in some ways. So, so Canarchy to start with, that's actually, that's Oscar Blues, Cigar City, Perrin, Wasatch. That's that group. Uh, okay. my fireman capital. Uh, so when I was talking about consolidation earlier, they're one of those big consolidators. Um, but you're right. A lot of, a lot of breweries, especially at that top range are starting to move into more general beverages. Uh, and, so for a few years, I've been saying that, that a lot of even comment like professional commentators on beverage alcohol, they do a terrible job of they forget that non-alcoholic beverage exists. Non-alcoholic mm-hmm. beverage is a way, way just dollar wise, way bigger thing than beverage alcohol. Sure. Um, and usually you start seeing trends there before they start migrating into beverage alcohol. So. Uh, just because for it's it moves quicker because more people are buying more stuff and for most people that's a bigger part of their day so you see those trends pop up early like hard seltzer took beverage alcohol people by complete surprise but anybody who had been paying attention to non-alcoholic beverages 
I mean, Seltzer had been skyrocketing for, you know, eight years by that point. It should have been, you know, a, a no shit kind of thing. So you're seeing massive fragmentation um, in non-alcoholic beverage. So what that means is you're seeing more and more uh, brands, more and more narrow focus of different types of products. So for example, like you go to walk into Whole Foods now, their beverage section, I'm not talking alcohol, I'm talking non-alcoholic beverage is a whole aisle. They have 50 types of kombucha, some of them with vitamins and minerals in it. They have Italian soda. They have traditional sodas. They have, you know, um, you know, activated charcoal beverages. Uh, millennials and Generation Z really like having their consumership customizable, personalizable. They like to find something that's a good fit for them. Mm. Uh, so something like this is kind of, that's what you're seeing with hard seltzer. Uh, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. You're going to continue to see beverage alcohol fragment more and more, more types of products, more options, more choices that are different than just beer, wine, spirits, which is what it had been for the previous ever. Um, but from this perspective, for this particular acquisition, that was basically Oscar Blues going in and saying, hey, we want to participate in a space that hasn't really had big backing before. And that's the recovery side of things. Got a lot of people entering seltzer. You got a lot of people entering kombucha, a lot of people entering um, CBD. But nobody's really gone in and say, hey, we got a whole captive audience of people who are going to be drinking. They're all using fucking Pedialyte to recover the next morning. We might as well come up with something that's uh, or acquire this small company that's uh, up and coming and trying to provide a, a purpose driven adult version of that. So I think it was a pretty natural fit. I thought they were pretty smart with it. I think it's a tiny company with shit branding. So we'll see how it winds up working out. But uh, <laughs> I definitely think it's a, a segment that's that's worth exploring. And you're going to see a lot more of uh, that with beverage companies continue to explore further and further fragmented uh, beverage categories. The age of the big brewery is almost done. We're going to see the age of the beverage company. It's wild. Interesting. I, I think there's there's room for that because, you know, liquid IV, I see that marketed all the time. You know, a lot of people probably just go for the Gatorade or like you said, the Pedialyte. Um, if, if branded properly, I feel like you could become the choice for people that enjoy craft beer or whatever, you know, depending on how you do it. Um, that doesn't exist and it should mm -hmm. in my mind. I think that that could be a good option if executed properly. Yeah, these aren't bad things. These can be great things. I mean, there's not, nothing wrong with any of this. And you're 100% right for most of these categories. Um, a lot of craft beer people, they look at, for example, hard seltzer. And like everybody's coming out with a hard seltzer. And yet 90% of the, the whole category is owned by three companies. And it's not going to change. Most product categories are what we call oligopolistic. So they uh, have a handful of dominant players. And then that lasts like one to 2% like split a thousand ways between all these little guys. Craft beer made a lot of people get this mindset of everything's going to be pluralistic with a million different players and they, they range in size and they all get equal play. And that's not how most markets work. The, the culture of craft beer is why that works. So, uh, yeah, something like this. I mean, if they're making a play by being first to market. They can brand it properly, to your point. Then they could become the player in that recovery space. And if they can do that, then then everybody else is just fighting for that sliver. You know, Gatorade is Gatorade because it's sports-driven. But when I think about anything else I've ever seen that's at a, a, a you know on a counter, 
that's like take this to recover quicker or you know um a hangover cure in my mind i classify it also with like gas station dick pills like they're just in that same <laughs> realm for some reason and and they need to find a way to transcend that and become you know uh to be taken seriously you know then take it as serious as you do you know the the beers that you're drinking um so I don't know. That, that'll be interesting to see. I, I'm also curious your thoughts on the uh, the Sweetwater. Um, Sweetwater was purchased by a cannabis company, I think is how it went, right? Yeah, a cannabis company out of uh, Canada, which is kind of becoming the cannabis capital of North America. I mean, you know, our, our state-by-state laws means we've missed the boat in a lot of ways on that. But uh, they bought uh, Sweetwater out of Georgia, uh, one of the larger craft breweries in the country, uh, but boy, they bought them at a premium, uh, oh, yeah? like holy shit premium. Uh, if you look at the comparison versus the new Belgium acquisition or the dogfish head acquisition, now there's other stuff at play with the dogfish head one. They had a note coming up, they had to pay, but, uh, yeah, they, the price per barrel of production they paid for Sweetwater was massive. And I know they got huge acceleration plans, but some of that money probably could have been spent accelerating their cannabis, uh, uh, business. So I, I don't know. I, I, I know it's a pretty natural marriage. I mean, Sweetwater's branding is pretty spot on for them, but they're not exactly brand in, in, in high esteem in a lot of their markets. Anyhow, I mean, Sweetwater has been looking to, to find some sort of VC or, or big acquisition for years now, but we'll, we'll see. I, I think they overpaid. I got a feeling this is going to be a lot more ballast point and a lot less uh, new Belgium. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that like it's the flaw in craft beer. I don't know exactly how to explain it again. I'm, I'm not the brightest, but I loved when I would travel to Atlanta and I knew I was going to find Sweetwater on tap and I would get that 420 extra pale ale and was super excited for it. And then when it's everywhere, it becomes less exciting. And I know that makes me part of the problem that I don't just drink what I like. You know, I, I understand that part of it, but there's something to be said for that. And, and, and what's that balance? How do, how do breweries do that? Where if you, if you, you distribute to the masses, yes, you're going to sell more beer, but then you, you in turn become a competitor against an already well-established beer market. Um, I, I don't know how you, you, you play that game and, and make those bets. It, it, it's a hard thing to do. I've actually got a, a couple of clients that are, are effectively working on either overcoming that chasm or on creative solutions to overcoming that chasm and helping other breweries do so. But uh, it's easy to be small. It's easy to be big. Once you reach a certain size, at that point, you have enough access to capital. You have good enough uh, leverage with your wholesalers. Economies of scale kick in, so you're able to make stuff for cheaper. Um, it, it's easy enough to be big, and you can control access to market. You've got points of distribution, but there's this huge middle range uh, where you're too you're big enough to where you're not sexy and small and local, but you're not big enough to really compete with the big guys and actually uh, play on their level. And uh, that, that's a t- tough thing to overcome. There's, there's a lot of solutions to it. None of them are good. And the ones that are able to break through are usually ones who are either stupid capitalized or have a really, really good grasp of branding. Uh, you got some like Rheingeist, New Realm. Um, those are those are some of the ones that have, or Modern Times, another example, they've been able to kind of accelerate and just rocket past it. 
But unless you're able to kind of use a blitz approach and, and jump that chasm like Evil Knievel, you're 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 getting some tough luck. Taylor, how are we doing? You want to? Is it time to wrap it up? Oh, you want to do the? Uh, you want to do the the toast of the week? Man, I'm not prepared. How do I not remember our own segments? God damn it, Tom. <laughs> we only have one. I know. <laughs> well, Jesus Christ. I was it's gonna. Hard, it's hard to make a habit. I was gonna. You cheer, guys go ahead. I'll think of something. I was gonna cheers to you, John, because it was your birthday this past week, and uh, I'm your brother also. And as well, another thing Sorry. that's very important uh, that I say to you is that I'm very proud of you, and uh, I'm, 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 I love your show. I love producing your show, and I love that you're on the network with me. And I love that you introduced me to so many great people like Mr. Steve uh, and, and a lot of the listeners here. And uh, you just do a great job with everything. You're a great dad. You're a great person. And cheers to you. That's very sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much. Also, for a follow-up, happy birthday uh, belated to, to Brett as well. Yeah, happy birthday to both of you guys. Yeah, yeah. Look at the big birthday F- on Brett. I, I, I got a FU toast. <laughs> to Eric Ebron of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I lost my fantasy game by .02 because of you on Wednesday. So, <laughs> F you. .02. Man, I, I feel terrible. I don't have anything prepared. I feel like I've had a ridiculous week, and I could probably think of something to to toast or to shit on but i'm gonna take the kevin kinderman route and i'm just gonna say uh my toast of the week is to aaron because having him as a guest i i love i love 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 having good guests one because they make our show so much easier i swear i said like five or six sentences and and aaron took the rest but he makes me want to just like pass the show over to him you know i feel like you know, I, I know that we're not the greatest. I know that we're not the worst. But having people that are um, that that are on a higher level bring us up and and, and challenge us to be better. And um, I feel like it's not it's not going to do anything but um, but but you know bring positive energy to the show. But so it's a cop out. I'm sorry, but Aaron, you've been a fantastic guest, and uh, cheers to you, buddy. Cheers. That's what we're doing. Thank you. But, but not being the worst. Yes. Hey, that's better than I usually get called. Uh, I'd like to give one as well. Uh, I'd like to Please. give one to uh, my daughter, Nellie, who is two years old. She taught herself the word hops. Uh, she's a Pink Boots member in training, and I'm pretty sure no already a better podcast host than John. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that you can just dish it out like everybody else. <laughs> I married a woman from Massachusetts. If I couldn't, I'd be dead. <laughs> All right. Well, go ahead uh, and hit that music, yeah, Taylor. Good job, everybody. Right, Aaron, thank you so much um, for being on, Mr. Steve, my brother Taylor, um, everybody that, sh- that was uh, watching or listening. We really appreciate you. Evan, Fish, Brett, Laura, all the regulars, Doug, uh, you guys are the best. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what to say next. Thank you, Mike. I'm like completely off uh, off my rocker tonight, but um, thank you guys so much. Listen, if anybody wants to hang out for a little bit, I got a couple other things we can discuss. I've got a um, 
breweries, uh, what is it, top 10 breweries in Pennsylvania, according to Untapped, top five stouts, um, and a couple other things. So if anybody wants to hang out with us, we can go a little bit longer. But as far as the podcast recording is concerned, we are wrapping it up. Uh, make sure you check us out on YouTube. You can find us on all your podcast uh, platforms. But thank you so much for hanging out with us, and we will see you next time. Cheers, y'all.